nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and as always, I'm thrilled to be able to um, be back on the show again today on Monday. So our show is sponsored by Holly Blue Nurse Community App, which is for and about nurses. You will find resumes, tools to help you stay organized, professional opportunities, community support, peer support, interesting groups, and pages just for nurses. Hollyblue.com, a community where nurses thrive. I really love it. And next week, I just want to mention uh, November 30th, the founder and CEO, Carol Lunsford, will be on the show and we will be talking just nurse talk in general and things that are going on and what we're both hearing about from nurses across the country. <clears throat> Today's show uh, episode is Transforming Healthcare, Nurses Required. To introduce this episode, I'd like to share an adapted paragraph from my guest book, Transforming Healthcare, Healing You and Me, and Our Broken Disease Care System. Our healthcare system is broken. In fact, we do not have healthcare in this country. We have disease care. We wait until you get sick, and then we try to fix you. Easily the most inefficient and expensive form of healthcare in the world. Yet, we can truly transform healthcare. Each of us will interact with our healthcare systems, whether for ourselves or our families. So let's conscientiously create a system based on science, research, and experience that we can each be proud of and that we would feel confident and comforted to take our loved ones to. Let's transform our broken disease care system into a model of true caring and compassion focused on health, wellness, and disease prevention. The people who truly understand and practice this kind of care consistently are trained and educated nurses. We come to nursing with the desire and often a feeling of mission to deliver this type of care. Let's not only put nurses at the decision-making table, let's have them lead the process. So I'd like to welcome and <clears throat> introduce my guest, Kim Evans. She's an advanced practice nurse with over 43 years of clinical experience who is truly interested in helping people achieve their optimum health, body, mind, and spirit. And she is a founding member of the Institute for Integrative Medicine in Louisville, Kentucky. So welcome, Kim. Thrilled to be here. I am so, so and happy to have you. So please share so just a quick bit, a little bit about how you came to nursing and from there, how you came to transforming healthcare. Yes, thank you. So I was fortunate. The University of Louisville had started a new nursing program in our city. And so I went to nursing school right out of high school. I knew I always wanted to be a nurse because I had a huge desire to help people and to help them heal. So after about 15 years of working in the intensive care unit, I was a critical care specialist. And I can remember to this day, 
standing there one day looking around going, that could have been prevented. That could have been mm-hmm. prevented. And I just mm-hmm. had this epiphany that we really don't do health care. We wait till you get sick and then try to fix it. And the mm-hmm. whole thing just seems so backwards because all of our mothers taught us that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. <laughs> and yet here we are in healthcare waiting until you get sick and then trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. So um, at that moment, I just had an epiphany. And then once you see that, it's like you can't go back. So yeah. then everything started getting on my nerves. You know, I watched <laughs> how we would give people baths at three o'clock in the morning because, you know, that was convenient when there weren't a lot of tests and procedures going on. But really, is that in the best interest of the patient? Oh, my gosh. And then the food that we were serving people, it was atrocious (laughs) from a nutritional standpoint. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So all of these things started getting on my nerves. And I just thought, I've got to do something different. I've got to change my practice and focus on wellness and disease prevention. And so that was when you went to do your um, APRN then? Yeah, so I was already an advanced practice nurse working as a critical care specialist. But when I resigned my position there, then I remember doing a tape series by Deepak Chopra. Uh And he um, had a series of five steps. First, get into a meditative state, you know, basically connect to your heart, to to God or whatever Uh that is for your definition. Put it out there what you want to do. Don't be attached to how it's going to happen. Let the universe handle the details and the results are guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, God, I want to change the healthcare system. And I named about <laughs> 25 things that I didn't like about it, which now, you know, we could name about 50 or 100. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yeah. I literally, I feel like I was divinely led one step after another. So, um, Shortly thereafter, I had an opportunity to take a certification in AMA therapy, which is acupressure based on traditional mm-hmm. Chinese medicine, very holistic. I had already been a member of the Holistic Nurses Association, so I was already practicing with the holistic model. Um, and then after that, had an opportunity to start my own practice. And mm-hmm. literally every year, I feel like I've kind of expanded and been put on a bigger and bigger playing field every year. Yeah. It's amazing how those next steps just present themselves once you you put out that big decision. And I think for most of us, we stop ourselves because we never come up with a big determination. You know, we make it something, well, I can do that, you know, and if you can already do it, you, you don't need, you know, extra help. What you need is to go for the impossible and make it possible. So that let's step so back. true. And yeah. once you put one step in front of the next, then the next step is revealed to you. And that's yes. been so true through my whole career. Yeah, I so agree with you. Um, Let's step back just a minute. Um, Holistic, one of the things I've been working with the the caravan, uh, uh, Compassion Caravan with Holistic Nurses since last uh, November, actually. And uh, the idea there was to be able to encourage nurses all around our country uh, over the summer. 
And um, so I got to learn a little bit more about the holistic nurses and how they look at things. And what I realized from them is there's a big difference between H holistic and WH holistic. Um, would you like to say just a little bit about that, what's different? That's exactly right, because the WH is looking at the whole picture, body, mind, and spirit, because, of course, everything integrates with everything else. You can't heal somebody physically without it affecting them psychologically and emotionally and spiritually as well, and vice versa is also true. Whereas sometimes what I find is that the H, holistic, people want to bring in maybe holistic modalities such as aromatherapy or massage therapy, acupressure, and then, but the modality is not the same as practicing as holistic nursing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so, the biggest distinction. It's not about a modality. It's about mm-hmm. the, you know, the looking at the whole picture from a body, right. mind, and spirit perspective. Maybe while we're talking about that, we could talk about um, <clears throat> the difference between the medical model and integrative medicine. Um, maybe even difference between integrative and alternative first. Many, many people at this point get that, but a lot of people still don't. So let's start with that. What's the difference between integrative and alternative medicine? That's a great question because the term alternative medicine literally meant whatever modality was not taught in medical school. So you can see inherently the problem is that what physician provider is going to recommend something that they know nothing about. Yeah. When so many of these modalities are very effective, they're low cost, low uh, complications, and can be quite useful in clinical practice. So I prefer the term integrative because, Mm -hmm. you know, every modality that um, that we research and that we use in our practice, we do with an open minded skepticism. I trained through the University of Arizona, I was able to get uh, do, do a fellowship in integrative medicine. And Dr. Andrew Wow, he would always say this, we approach everything with an open-minded skepticism. And that's <laughs> true whether it's, you know, conventional medicine or um, an integrative or alternative medicine. Mm-hmm. So even some of the, I'm sure you can... Uh, Remember that even some of the things that we used to practice 20 or 25 years ago in the hospital, mm-hmm. we would never do that now because once we did the research and found, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it wasn't effective, and even though we had done it year after year. So everything right. we approach with an open-minded skepticism, whether it's conventional or integrative. So with the integrative, too, I think sometimes people think, well, that's that foo-foo stuff out there that's, you know, um, uh, not something that I feel comfortable with because they don't know anything about it. But you're actually integrating also medical model information that is researched and is backed up, as well as um, some of the these modalities that you're adding into it, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. For instance, one of the things that we've integrated into our practice is the APOE gene diet. The APOE gene, this is a genetic test that we can do, 
And basically, this gene was just discovered in the late 1970s, but it's the gene of how you metabolize cholesterol in the body. And of course, you know, cholesterol is hugely important for our energy. And you get one gene from each parent, and there's three different allele types. So there's six different possible combinations. And now what we know is that each combination has a different fuel source requirement. So what this means from a practical standpoint is that one diet does not fit all. <coughs> Excuse me. So this, this to me is such great news because, you know, we've seen people that they maybe followed the keto diet and they did fine, but someone else follows the keto diet and gets really sick. So now we can do this genetic test, the APOE, and know exactly what type of diet and exercise program to prescribe for the person. And literally what it does is it turns off the inflammation switch in the body. And you know how many diseases have inflammation as the root of it. And if you turn that inflammation switch off, you really make a difference in a person's health and well-being. Yes, it sounds like... So like almost like a stethoscope was when that came into being, it was like miraculous. Suddenly you didn't have to guess what was going on inside the body. You could listen, you could hear, you could, um, you know, gain information from that. And now this sounds like the same kind of thing. It's a perfect analogy. Yes. (laughs) Great. Well, I'm thinking, first of all, I love your book, and I'll say it again, it's Transforming Healthcare, Healing You, Me, and Our Broken Disease Care System. Um, I've got, it's so dog-eared, I went through the book, and and I've got things underlined and pages dog-eared, but one thing while we're talking about the differences between uh, models of care, I wanted to um, talk about comparisons between uh, the biomedical model and the uh, model of whole person caring. So I was thinking maybe we it's two columns. I'll read the biomedical if you'll read the uh, coordinating uh, whole person caring. So for biomedical, people are seen primarily as biological or biopsychosocial beings. Yes, and in the whole person caring uh, model, and it, this model was... Um, I do want to give credit to Lucia Thornton, who published this in her book, Whole Person Caring. But the whole person caring viewpoint would be that people are seen primarily as spiritual, sacred beings. Wow, doesn't that change the course of care? Human experience. (laughs) Wow. So the next one is focus is on physical, physiological symptoms and illness. Yes, and the whole person focuses on nourishing the person's wholeness, body, mind, heart, and soul. Mm-hmm. And those those are not four separate things. Those are integrated into one person. I love that. Um, so the next one is focus on diagnosis and treatment of disease. Whereas we focus on promoting healthy lifestyle practices. This mm-hmm. happens over a lifetime. Right. And the biomedical model is emphasis on the cure. The whole person caring is the emphasis is on healing and harmony. Mm -hmm. And uh, in emphasis is on suppression and or relief of symptoms. 
the whole person. The emphasis is on exploring meaning and source of symptoms. The thing that comes to mind with this is we talk about, um, you know, all of the um, uh, addictiveness that goes on. And so many times I feel like uh, the addiction is the symptom, not the cause. And when you get back to what is it that's causing this, this behavior, the symptom goes away too. So illness is seen as negative and something to fix. In the whole person model, illness is seen as an opportunity to explore and shift lifestyle patterns. Excellent. And we see this over and over because, you know, just as you were saying that the emphasis on, uh, you know, trying to fix something, even my patients who've had cancer diagnosis, some have come back and said, you know what, that was a huge change in my life. And, um, you know, they think of their life before cancer, after cancer, but find many silver linings and many blessings in Mm -hmm. after that diagnosis in terms of treatment and you know, their lifestyle. In fact, I'm hearing that as people talk about COVID and having to be quarantined and the amount of time we've spent with our families that we didn't have before. I keep hearing more and more people saying that they are um, uh, talking with each other more. They're uh, changing some of the, the negatives that they had before that they didn't understand each other. Or they weren't listening to one another. And now they have the opportunity to do that. And I think that's on that same level. Absolutely. It's a blessing. So the biomedical model says the professional is the authority, the one in charge. Now, this is huge. And this is one of the, uh, I would say, the cornerstones in my practice. Because in the holistic model, the professional is a therapeutic partner. And this is so important because even for every patient, I create a treatment plan based on, you know, lab results, their assessment. But when they come in, we sit and go over that treatment plan. And a lot of times that changes mm-hmm. based on the patient's input. You know, maybe they say, oh, I can't do that. You know, that's unrealistic. So then we come up with a realistic goal that would move them more towards their health right. goals. So this yeah. is so important that the patient is a partner in their care and, you know, that the therapeutic relationship is critical. Yes, I, I could give you a hundred examples of that. Uh, the professional is emotionally neutral. <laughs> I flunked big time in that. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and to me, you know, this is a huge part of nursing because, you know, nursing is a caring profession. This is why we've been voted as the most uh, trustworthy profession in the last 20 years. But the holistic model, the professional's caring is an important component of healing. And, oh, I could, again, I could give you a hundred examples of this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I just had a patient who called me over the weekend because they went into atrial fib and they were they were terrified and very scared. And, you know, I was just like, okay, it's all right. Take a little extra magnesium, you know, we'll, and then she did some other things, make sure she was hydrated. And she's like, mm-hmm. I feel so much better. <laughs> and of course she's going to follow up with your cardiologist today. Mm-hmm. But 
just, you know, the caring and compassion is such an important part of healing. It's amazing. So the patient is encouraged to rely on the professional for health care needs. Oh, gosh. And again, this is another cornerstone in our practice because we empower people and encourage them to promote his or her own health. Yep. So we I, want to teach people how to be healthy. We want to teach them how to help themselves. Uh, so I, that is I had a, critically important. I had a situation one time where I was dealing with neck and back pains, and I had been dealing with it for a long time. And so I learned some things. If I do this, I'm in pain for three months. Don't do that anymore. And I had a, a head and neck doctor that was insisting that I do these specific exercises and each time I would say I'm sorry but I can't do those I've done that many times before and it doesn't work for me <clears throat> and so he actually brought me into his office and told me that I was screwing up his statistics and that if I didn't start listening to him and doing what he said um, that he was going to fire me as a patient and it was like you're too late I'm already going to fire you <laughs> so the next one is... Uh, on you for messing up his statistics. <laughs> oh, I was so mad. And I had been, you know, the the uh, dutiful nurse always, you know, listen to the doctor, do what he says. And boy, that was the change of my life. So uh, with the medical model or biomedical model, the hierarchical relationships are valued and encouraged. Just in the example you just shared. So yep. <laughs> the holistic model and the whole person model, non-hierarchical relationships are valued and encouraged. Shared governance is the norm. Because, you know, yeah. this is why we have to use a team approach. You know, maybe physical therapy is indicated. You know, maybe mm -hmm. a nutritionist or dietitian would be helpful. And each person brings their own expertise and their own value towards this person's care. It's mm -hmm. not just one person. It's yeah, got to exactly. be a team approach. So the last one is the professional orchestrates the care. And the holistic model is that a patient professional collaboration is welcomed. So again, we each come with our own body of expertise and have something very valuable to share for a person's well-being. Exactly. I was thinking about um, even, you know, the nurse's care plan we used to always do. Everybody hated them because they basically were a lot of work, got put on paper, nobody looked at them and nobody used them. And I just had um, a, a nurse on a few weeks ago, not even sure exactly, but sometime in the last couple of months, James Kerrig. And he talked about, as a CNO in his organization, that he would um, go out to the units and he'd say, well, what's your nurse's care plan? And they'd all groan. And so he was doing uh, training kind of on the spot about how nurses look at the, the patient and, and make a care plan with the patient. And that care plan is their diagnosis. It's their nursing diagnosis. And it's so vital that nurses do that so that we're not just following that you know, what we were just talking, biomedical model, that we're bringing to um, the surface what nurses bring, which is completely different than what doctors and, and really any other part of healthcare brings. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So this is one of the reasons why I feel like uh, nurses need to not only be at the table in the decision-making table as we re revamp healthcare, they need to be leading it. And um, that's going to be really interesting how we make that happen. But it's going to be dependent on how nurses step up and step forward and show themselves to be the people that can really create a healthcare um, that works for people, that makes people happy to come to work and, and be able to deliver caring, compassionate care instead of the opposite of what we just read. We're coming up against a break, and I'm thinking this might be a really good place for us to take it. And then we can come back and start talking about transforming healthcare and why that needs to happen and what we can do. So this is right. Once a Nurse. Great. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And I am here uh, today with my guest, uh, Kim Evans. Um, and she is an advanced practice nurse with over 43 years of clinical experience who is founding a founding member of the Institute for Integrative Medicine in Louisville, Kentucky. And we will be right back in just a couple minutes. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. WomenInHealthCare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. WomenInHealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Hey nurses, what would you say is the hardest part about being a nurse? Well, most of you would say it's putting everyone else's needs before our own, which means not enough time for self-care. And this is why Holly Blue has created a peer support and community app just for nurses, so you can take care of you. Holly Blue is the ultimate nurse app to help you connect with local nurses, organize your nurse life in one place, restore your love for nursing, and empower you to thrive in a field that needs you. Want to see how it works? Student nurses, nurses, and retired nurses can download this free app on the App Store or Google Play now. Just type in H-O-L-L-I-B-L-U or go to hollyblue.com to start connecting. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. 
Welcome back. And our show our episode today is Transforming Healthcare, Nurses Are Required. My guest today is Kim Evans, who's an advanced practice nurse with over 43 years of clinical experience and a founding member of the Institute for Integrative Medicine in Louisville, Kentucky. We've just been talking about the differences between the biomedical model and integrative care. And now we want to go into a kind of why we need to change um, uh, how our healthcare is functioning and how, what what we might need to do for that. So Kim, tell us about that. Why why are you adamant that we need to change this? Oh my goodness. The current healthcare system cannot be sustained. If you look at the most common cause of bankruptcy in the United States is medical bankruptcy mm-hmm. because people cannot afford um, that. So the system cannot be sustained and it may even make sense to pay a lot of money for it if we had outcomes that were exceptional. But mm-hmm. our outcomes, if you compare our outcomes to the other 40 industrialized nations in the world, our outcomes rank really low compared to a lot of those other countries. I think we're I saw 37. Emergency. Yes, 37 or 38 out of 40. We're oh. great in an acute emergency, but when it comes to chronic illnesses, we just don't do very well. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that, the, you know, most, if you look at the chronic illnesses, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, all of those can be preventable. And in mm-hmm. fact, when we look at the major killers, 30% of all the killers are preventable. Mm-hmm. And so this is where I see nurses could really take the lead here because we're talking about lifestyle management, diet, exercise, lifestyle modifications such as stress management, smoking cessation. So all of these could be easily under the domain of nursing. I'd like to add in too how to deal with... I'd like to add in how to deal with conflict because I think that's something that causes so much stress and breaks up marriages and business relationships and on and on and on. And we just are not very good at dealing with it. And so we up our stress and create lots of problems. So um, one of the things you had talked about in your book was, uh, you know, the, the amount uh, that is cost. And you were saying that um, the, um, the, uh, the whole system is set up to spend more money, more tests, more whatever. And those things often do not really help the outcome. Many times the doctor already knows what the outcome of the test is going to be, but they want to cover themselves that, yes, I I did this test. And just an example, my mother just uh, had a near-death experience with um, heart block, and she ended up getting a pacemaker. And she called me on Friday to tell me she got the bill and it was $80,000 plus just for the hospital. Oh, I mean, she was saying, I'm so glad I have insurance because there's, it would wipe her out completely. So yes, and it becomes a double edged sword because especially in terms of healthcare, because, because someone else is quote unquote paying for it, you know, an insurance mm-hmm. company, then it's like a person uh, doesn't have to be accountable for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that gets us into a lot of trouble because there's no transparency. 
and so, you know, um, for instance, knowing that nutrition, diet, exercise makes such a difference in um, chronic illnesses, <laughs> you know, that's, it's like people don't have to take responsibility or be accountable to that because someone else is, quote, unquote, paying for their health insurance. Yeah. And then and so, even the way the model is set up, you know, the model is set up so that the insurers, uh, it is a profit system. I just read an article this week that showed that, you know, United Healthcare uh, has made a lot of money this year. And um, with COVID testing, with, you know, and also they haven't had to pay much out because so many elective surgeries were canceled or put off. So, you know, the health insurance industry is having a banner year. But instead of using that money to maybe give people a break who are now unemployed because of COVID or giving people a break on their premiums, they bought repurchase their stock so that their stock mm. would stay up for their investors. Mm-hmm. Now, there's something wrong with that system. When we have an industry that promotes disease care and sick care and doesn't promote yeah. health care. And, impl- and promotes profiting. So um, yes. that's one of the things I've been hearing also from nurses where they were saying they were being laid off at this you know peak point of of um, COVID because the hospital wasn't making as much money. And so rather than recognizing we need these nurses, these nurses could be used in a thousand different ways. They laid them off or furloughed them or whatever they did. And the whole thing was, you know, based on profit, um, which, you know, I understand there has to be profit in uh, an organization that big. But if that gaining profit isn't really about the organization. What they were doing was trying to save the money to go to those um, benefactors and and, uh, stockholders uh, for the for-profit hospitals. And so they were telling the nurses, we don't have money, you know, to, you know, maybe give you um, combat pay or something like that uh, because they were saving that bunch of money that was to go to um, the people that, uh, supported the hospital. Am I right on that or am I completely it's, wrong? It's a travesty. It is a travesty. So, and then, you know, many nurses had to take vacation time when they were furloughed. Right. <laughs> so yep. that was, that's not right either. And the furlough also required that they had to be available to come back to work within 24 hours. So they were not able to go and get another job, even temporarily somewhere else. So that just created more and more tension. At that point, the message that's been delivered is we do not have your back. And so even when they would go back into work, they found they didn't have enough PPE. Even now, as we get into the second wave, they, these hospitals still do not have enough PPE and are requesting that nurses use one disposable mask for more than one day, an entire day, not just mm-hmm. one procedure, an entire day. It's crazy. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the other thing yeah, I wanted to point know, out. Go ahead. Maybe this will be the kind of fire that gets ignited under nurses mm-hmm. to create the much needed change. Yeah. Much needed change. I think yeah, nurses for so long have been employee employees 
But this is a mindset we've got to change. Exactly. So we've got to empower the nurses so they have a voice. I had a, a, a guest on, and I'm going to forget her name right now, but uh, she had talked about being an entrepreneur. So instead of an entrepreneur, it's nurses who are working in a hospital system or in a clinic or wherever it is that they're working, but they're looking at it as an owner. So it's like, this is my unit. It's, you know, I'm going to treat it as though I own this unit and I will operate as though um, I, I, it's my business and my reputation depends on it. So you, you operate differently. That is a beautiful concept. And actually, it's similar to the concept I wrote about in the book about mm -hmm. a hospital who did just that, where the most important priority of the whole hospital was the patient and family well-being. And mm -hmm. that superseded everything, even the financials. Not that the financials weren't important, but mm -hmm. what they found is that when you focused on the patient and the family, that everything else fell into place. You know, the mm -hmm. satisfaction scores, the um, nurses' satisfaction to work there, to be empowered, to change things. Everything mm -hmm. was, um, just like you mentioned, they became an owner, a part of the organization, not just an employee. I worked in an organization like that, and what we found was that Nurses, even nurses who left to get a better position or to move up or move up in their education or whatever they were doing, they would replace themselves. They would say, my friend from this ex-hospital is going to come back to this hospital and take my position because she realizes uh, how well I was supported. Um, so you find that you don't have to spend as much in um, uh, getting people to come to your your uh, hospital in the first place because once they come there, they realize that this is really a good place to be. They either stay or they bring other people with them. And how how awesome is that when you feel like you're working with your friends and you know yes. that everyone has your back and you're all working together for a common goal? Mm -hmm. It's just so much more enjoyable to work in. And, of course, the care that's provided is much more excellent. Yeah. Yep. And, again, you were talking about, you know, that there's not the hierarchy. Um, I used to have so many nurses on my staff that would not uh, um, uh, question a doctor ever about anything, even when they knew that what was being ordered was probably not right or not right for that um, that patient. And I used to try to really train them that, one, that doctor is not going to respect you if you are not standing up. Two, you actually might be saving that doctor's neck because they're doing something in the hurry or, you know, maybe confusing in their mind patients. Um, I've had, you know, doctors obviously write wrong prescriptions. And it wasn't an intentional thing. It was just you know, just not thinking at that moment. And by stopping them and getting them to come back and think it through again, you save them, you save the patient, and everybody feels better about it. So if you have that equilateral where everybody is seeing each other as, as having value and providing something. I've had um, housekeepers that have told me things about my patients that were told to them while they were in the room cleaning that they never would have told me. But knowing that piece of information, I was able to change something completely and make things better for the patient. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone's important on the team. I 
including the housekeepers. <laughs> Especially the housekeepers. Many times they have saved my neck so many times that, you know, it's every aspect. It's like um, somehow when healthcare came into being, we got this hierarchy and for whatever reason it stayed in place. And I just think that we will be much better off if we can, uh, you know, listen to everybody what their input is and weigh it you know does this have input maybe maybe that input isn't effective in this particular moment but like i said so many times when that has been um uh, uh, like we saved uh we saved an accident from happening um i want to talk a little bit more about the other aspects we've talked a bit about medical but what about those aspects of uh, psychological spiritual some of those kinds of things, how does that play into how a person recovers or maybe doesn't get sick in the first place? Oh, gosh. I mean, as I mentioned before, you just can't even, you can't really separate the psychological and emotional from the physical. I mentioned that I do acupressure, and I had a patient who had a lot of pain in his left neck and shoulder area. And so, you know, when... I did some acupressure points and then just talked to him a little bit. Well, it turns out that, you know, he was going through a horrible divorce. And the interesting thing about the body is that the left side is more your female side, where the right side of the body tends to hold more the paternal or the male side. And as soon as I told him about that, you know, that he had like this huge look on his face like, okay, that makes sense. Because once he started talking about what was going on in his life and he could, um, you know, just, I could counsel him a little bit on how to manage his emotions and all of that, his pain went away. Now, as I said, we did some acupressure points, but that was not the full cause of his pain. He had a lot of emotions that were tied up into that as well. And if you only look at just the physical, you're going to miss a lot of that psychological and emotional yeah, cause. Even, you know, when you're talking about men, I think so often they tend, even if they're aware of, you know, that psychological or emotional part of it, they won't tell anybody about it because that's not really manly. So by allowing them some space to be able to talk about that, I, I can imagine that would just be such a, a lifted burden. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, of course, even you, in the acupressure, in the therapy I do, you know, the lung channel tends to hold on to grief. Uh, each mm-hmm. channel tends to hold on to something. The liver holds on to anger. Kidneys hold on to anger. So, you know, so many of the times, even though we're dealing with physical modalities, such as a UTI, a urinary tract infection, you know, then we explore the psychological and emotional issues behind that. Mm-hmm. And... We always find, uh, you know, more to the story, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Right. It was interesting when you were talking about the left side of the body being more feminine, a light bulb went on for me um, because I have had, I had birth defects I was born with and throughout my life, I've just had a lot of pain in various different ways, shapes and forms. And I've always just kind of pushed through it because I didn't want to be held back by the pain. And I would feel like the pain was like an enemy 
that I had to push against. But what I always would tell people is that even though they would tell me I had more um, problems on the left side, I would say, my brain doesn't know I have a left side. It was like I was totally ignoring that side of my body and only paying attention to pain on the right side. And it never clicked until you just (laughs) said that. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. There it is. Isn't that interesting? It is. So um, uh, one other thing you talked about was uh, purpose, people's purpose and meaning of life. And it makes me think back to um, Man's Search for Meaning, and I'm going to forget the author. Maybe you remember his name. Victor Frankl. Uh, thank you, Victor Frankl. Mm-hmm. And he oh, was yes. in concentration camps. And what he said was that uh, he noticed that the people who seemed to survive the concentration camp were people who had something left undone, some purpose in their life that they need to meet. And you mentioned this, the purpose and meaning of life. How does that play into people's health? Again, that's just so critical because, you know, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And so there's still a lot in the mystery and the mystical that we don't understand from the human perspective. But the other thing about it is that uh, if we, um, and again, we could do a whole show on this, but energetically, (laughs) Because, you know, when you bring in uh, quantum physics, you know, we used to base everything Mm -hmm. on the reductionist theory, break everything down to smaller and smaller to find the root cause. Mm -hmm. But now we know that with quantum physics, that the person is much more than the sum of their parts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have this spirit, this essence inside us that's not contained just in our physical being. And this is probably most um, easily understood from near-death experiences where people have out-of-body experiences and they are aware of their essence and consciousness outside of their physical body. And so when you start to look at this part of spirituality, knowing that, you know, we're spiritual beings um, having a human experience and our souls are eternal, then that brings a whole different perspective to this little speck of life that we are mm-hmm. dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. If you think about it, each individual life of whatever, 80, 90, 100 years, um, is just a blink in the entire life of the earth and the universe and so on. So it's like all of a sudden, the these little things that we're dealing with become, uh, it's more important to deal with bigger aspects of it than just the discomfort or um, annoyance or something like that that's going on. Um, We're kind of at that point where I like to ask the guests if there's one thing that you can share with with our audience uh, that if they get nothing else from what you've been talking about, what what is it you want to make sure that they really get? And take about five minutes or so to talk about it. I would say, come on, nurses. Now is our time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is what Florence Nightingale predicted, that it would be 100 or 200 years after her. And so here we are. We have this chance to really transform health care. And we don't, you know, I want to tell nurses, you don't have to have an advanced degree, an advanced practice, because all of us, with our just our inherent 
registered nurses license that we are healthcare information specialists. So, and what the country needs now, what people are crying for, are healthy lifestyle behaviors and learning how to be healthy and how to keep themselves healthy without having to go down these diseases. So that's the most important thing I'd want to tell nurses is that, you know, we, you can, uh, you are a healthcare information specialist. It's time for us to come forward and teach people how to have a healthy lifestyle. If nurses took wellness and disease prevention and left disease care, the acute things, to the medical model, think how we could transform things. Mm-hmm. I was even thinking about, you know, having a nurse clinic on, you know, like McDonald's, so on almost every street corner, and then they would be looking out for the community of do they have a good um a uh, grocery store that has appropriate food and healthy food for people uh, that's ex- um, accessible to them, easily accessible to them, and also uh, cost-efficient for them. I mean, if we put exactly. time and energy into those things, that just that alone could make a huge difference for diabetics, for you know, um, coronary patients, for all of those different things. It's just amazing. It could. I mean, we mentioned how, you know, 30% of chronic illnesses are preventable because now we're seeing the obesity epidemic. That leads Mm -hmm. to a diabetic epidemic. That leads to an Alzheimer's epidemic. So we see Mm -hmm. how all of this feeds into one another. No pun intended, feeds into it. But this is where nurses can make such a difference. Mm -hmm. Just teaching people how to read a food label, teaching them, you know, what is the difference between a fat, a healthy fat, carbohydrate, and a protein? And so, you know, this is all things that nurses have been trained in, healthy lifestyle, wellness, looking at the whole picture. Mm-hmm. This is our practice and our profession. And the country is crying for it. <laughs> yes. And what if the incentive, the financial incentive was on this end of the the situation as opposed to on how do we make more money for, you know, whoever it is on the end of the line, whether that's insurance companies or, you know, whoever else. What if we focused on people? We would then have more healthy people who could work, more healthy people that would have great new ideas that could be put into to use, um, people paying more taxes. I mean, it, it, right down the line, everything for everybody could be better. In China, a physician or a provider does not get paid unless the person's healthy and well. Hmm. (laughs) Can you imagine if we shifted that here Mm -hmm. and let nurses take on helping people become healthy and creating healthy lifestyles? So in about the last minute, what are things individual nurses should be thinking about doing now? To step up. We've been in the darkness, in the shadow for so long. How do we step up and how do we get heard? We have to be on the boards. Every board uh, needs a nursing representative, whether that's a school board, whether that's in our communities, whether that's, you know, the new COVID um, board. We've got to have a nursing, not just a presence, but as you mentioned before, a leadership because, you know, nurses are integral to the health of this country. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, we have come to the end of this show. They always slip by so fast. And I, Kim, I just thank you so much for coming on. This has been every, everything I'd hoped it would be and more. So thank you. My pleasure. And I look forward to more because I feel like this is just the beginning. Yes. Yes. I think we've, do some we've powerful started something things. new. Yes. Yes. Great. So I just wanted to end my final message is healthcare is in a world of hurt right now. It has been in a state of dysfunction for at least decades, if not longer. The reasons for this come down to three words as far as I'm concerned, greed, anger, and ignorance. Greed from large pharma, insurance companies, profit-driven hospital organizations, an industry incentivized to cost more and more and more. Anger in the form of misinformation to public about the benefits and huge deficits in the system we currently have. Ignorance in the many many, uh, ways that we set up an industry that does not meet the health needs of people in so many ways. And patients then feel frustrated that they're not getting better, they're not staying well, and they're not able to uh, be at their highest level. The patient is barely considered in many of these organizations, much less placed first. Healthcare and prevention care costs a fraction of the cost of disease care. We have an opportunity at this moment of time in which the healthcare industry is being decimated by COVID. We can rebuild it just as it was, or we can decide to build it back better, as Joe Biden says. I vote for the latter. How about you? Please let me know what your thoughts are on my website, www.onceanurse.com, or write me at leanne at onceanurse.com. I want to thank everybody for listening, and I hope that you will make it a great week, and don't let anybody take it away from you. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.